Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping it for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a bacterial discovery that challenges our understanding of how and when life formed on Earth, the important difference between self-control and willpower, and the truth about whether or not your dog really loves you. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. For our first story, I want to take you back a few billion years or so. The Earth's atmosphere was dramatically different, full of methane instead of oxygen. And as we've talked about a million times on this show, methane is a pretty potent greenhouse gas. If I remember correctly, methane traps way more heat than carbon dioxide, but it also dissipates faster, right? Right. But with all that methane trapping, all that heat, life struggled to really gain a foothold. But then came what scientists call the Great Oxygenation <laughs> Event, or the, uh, <clears throat> the GOE. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that's when oxygen started to replace methane as a dominant gas. Yeah, and once the oceans and the atmosphere were flush with oxygen, the Earth cooled considerably and little creatures began popping up everywhere, just sloshing and crawling their way into existence. Okay, so why did oxygen suddenly replace methane? Where, where did it come from? Was it outer space? Was it a comet? No, not quite. Think bacteria. Hold up, you said there was no life back then. Life struggled. It was limited, but it wasn't none. So specifically, there were these little guys called cyanobacteria in the oceans that gobbled up the electrons and carbon dioxide, releasing oxygen as a byproduct. Slowly, over a span of, say, 200 to 300 million years, enough oxygen piled up in the oceans that it started escaping into the atmosphere. That's when things get really interesting because of photosynthesis. Okay, and photosynthesis, as we all know, turns sunlight, water, and CO2 into energy and oxygen. Yes, but scientists think that these cyanobacteria shifted from anoxygenic photosynthesis, which is actually a type of photosynthesis that doesn't release oxygen, to oxygenic photosynthesis, which is what you just described. <laughs> okay, wait, so back up. You mean that there's a kind of photosynthesis that doesn't release oxygen? Some algae and bacteria, and even a few plant species, still use that kind of photosynthesis. So the big puzzle they've been trying to piece together is, when did oxygenic photosynthesis evolve? Well, they may have found the answer in the fossilized rock of Australia and Canada in a mind-blowing discovery of 1.75 billion-year-old fossilized bacteria. 1.75? How on earth did it survive that long, and how did they find it? Great question. What's even more impressive is that these teensy structures are about as long as a strand of hair is wide. They're called the thylakoid membranes, and they're essential for oxygenic photosynthesis. And here's the thing. At that age, they are at least 1.2 billion years older than scientists thought possible. So they thought 
the kind of photosynthesis that produces oxygen didn't evolve until 1.2 billion years after these guys were around. How could they have been so wrong? I mean, that's not exactly a rounding error. Scientists base all their theories on evidence, right? And fossil evidence is obviously the gold standard, but not a lot of fossil evidence can survive nearly 2 billion years of wild climate swings or the massive earth-grinding geological forces. Or volcanoes or water erosion, heat, cold, ice, fire. Yeah, exactly. So these discoveries are extra special and are forcing scientists to rethink just how and when life started to really bloom on Earth. And I would guess that this also has implications for other planets, too. Like, the more we know about our early atmosphere and how life can grow out of rock and methane and just a little bit of water, the more we can know the possibility of finding life somewhere else. Bingo. The Earth, as it turns out, is just another planet. I mean, obviously to us it's pretty special, but all of these discoveries not only help us understand where we came from, but also where a place like Mars might be headed. Nate, would you say you have more self-control or more willpower? I'm not really sure what the difference is between self-control and willpower, so... Mm. <laughs> okay, okay. So that is actually a debate that has been raging in social science circles these days. Some argue that there is a distinction between self-control and willpower and that it's important for people to know the difference so they can be more successful in achieving their goals. Okay, so what is the difference? All right. A great example, bear with me here, is from Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. All right. Uh, it's been a while since I've read that, but I think I can remember the character Odysseus just goes on an epic journey all around the known world. Lots of adventures, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. And at one point, he hears about these mythical creatures called the Sirens. Yeah, I remember the Sirens, the beautiful beings who are part woman, part bird, and they sing a song that's just irresistible to humans. I mean, it's where we get the term siren song, right? Yeah, exactly. And Odysseus is pretty desperate to hear this legendary song. But he's been warned that sirens live on an island surrounded by dangerous rocks, and their song is meant to lure sailors towards them, where they inevitably crash into the rocks and die. Phenomenal. So the sirens symbolize the dangers of temptation and the nearly impossible challenge of resisting those things that you are so desperate to have. But if I recall, Odysseus did not use willpower to overcome the siren's song. That is right. He made his men tie him up to the mast really tightly, and then, so they couldn't be lured by the siren song, he made them pour wax into their ears. So as they passed the island, Odysseus could actually listen to the enchanting song, but as desperate as he was to get to the island, he couldn't because he was tied to the mast. That, some social scientists say, is an example of strategic self-control. Okay, okay. Uh, but he didn't have any self-control, which is why he tied himself to the mast. Uh, not so fast. What he lacked was willpower, or the ability to resist temptation in the moment without any outside help. And in our own lives, the difference between willpower and strategic self-control can be the difference between, I don't know, drinking your two liters of water a day or hitting a new workout class. I'm still a little unclear on the difference. <laughs> okay. That's why some social scientists say this debate is actually overcooked, because normal people don't know the difference, so it's sort of just an academic debate. But I think it's actually a pretty huge difference. To explain why, let's talk about willpower. Studies have shown that relying on willpower can be a dead end when it comes to achieving your goals. I mean, resisting something you want is really hard. And it might be impossible even for those who claim to have a really strong willpower. So think about it this way. Every day we do a million different things and make a million different choices, right? Most of the things we do and the choices we make are basically automatic. We pick up a coffee cup without even thinking about it. Sure. 
you'd call that a habit. Right. And our brains evolved to develop habits so that we don't have to spend a ton of energy making every tiny decision. Yeah, makes sense. So let's say we are so used to having a massive cup of black coffee in the morning, don't even think about it anymore. Our brains evolved to help us take decision-making out of the equation. So in other words... To stop drinking coffee using willpower would mean we'd have to defeat millions of years of evolution. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of research has shown that using willpower alone is actually a good way to fail. But strategic self-control, on the other hand... Tying yourself to the proverbial mast... I mean, a really dramatic example, but yes. In the case of the coffee, you accept that, oh my gosh, the coffee that you want in the morning is impossible to resist, so you make a plan. You just don't buy beans or go to your local coffee shop. I think a lot of people don't make New Year's resolutions because they don't think they have the willpower to succeed. And if that's the case, then maybe they're just going about it wrong. Exactly. Some 40% of Americans make resolutions in the new year, but less than half find success, and a third of them don't even make it past the three-month mark. If you're relying on your willpower, you might as well quit before you begin. The better way, according to some social scientists, is to focus on strategies that keep you from falling into the same old traps. Tie yourself to the mast. (laughs) Yeah. Don't buy the coffee because if it's in the house, you're just going to drink it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows that dogs are the best kinds of friends you can wish for. They don't argue with you. They always seem to be interested in whatever you have to say. They're snuggly and cute, and if you train them, they'll pretty much do whatever you want them to do. But a question about our canine companions has been lingering for centuries. Do they love us? Oh boy. Okay, this seems like a question that could get me in a lot of trouble with my roommates because they have two dogs. Um, My gut instinct is to say that yes, they absolutely love their owners. But my science brain actually wants to scratch this a little bit deeper. Um, I mean, how would we even know exactly? We we can't get into the minds of dogs, right? Mm, funny you should say that because that is exactly <laughs> what Emory University neuroscientist Gregory Burns wanted to do after his beloved dog Newton passed away. He wanted to get into the minds of dogs. I can only imagine what you might find. Right. So Burns is clearly a dog person to begin with and was fascinated by their social instincts and their ability to more or less communicate with humans. Sure. I know that you can do something like uh, point at something and a dog will look at it, right? So in other words, pointing is a means of communicating something to the dog and the dog gets it. And obviously it goes beyond that. You can tell them to sit and wait and play dead, all that stuff. And here's the thing. For ages, researchers have assumed that as dogs became domesticated, they lost much of the intelligence of their wolf ancestors. Their eyes became wider and cuter, and their faces and bodies became less threatening. Okay, and wolves are cunning and clever and known to be very smart. So maybe the dog had to give up some of that cunning in order to live side by side with humans. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, something like that. And at least that's what some people assumed, but it turns out it's not so simple. Enter Dr. Burns. After seeing dogs that were trained to military standards, he realized that it could be possible to train dogs to tolerate MRI scans. 
I don't even tolerate MRI scans. <laughs> so how uh, – I mean, there's no way. Uh, well, over 100 dogs' brains were eventually scanned, and the field of canine cognition got just a whole bunch of new data. Canine cognition. This sounds like it goes way beyond just dog training. Oh, yeah. The findings were pretty incredible. For example, they found that dogs were capable of understanding abstract concepts and complex social dynamics. That sounds like the stuff we already assume. Yeah, but the MRI studies showed that parts of the brain associated with human language processing lit up when dogs heard familiar phrases or commands, suggesting that they have a much higher understanding of our language than we thought, not just in tone, but in meaning as well. Okay, that's, that is pretty cool. So when we say ball, it's possible they conjure up an image of the ball in their minds. And not only that, but they found that dogs have specialized brain areas for processing faces which makes them really good at reading our expressions. So that's why they always seem to know what kind of stuff we're going through. I mean, again, my roommate's dogs will actually comfort them when they're sad. Yeah, that is right. There was an old study with wolves that showed a wolf could basically figure out how to open a gate just by watching a human, but a pet dog wasn't able to. Okay, so problem solving isn't their thing. These studies actually suggest that the pet dog probably wasn't failing to open the gate, it was more likely taking into account the human rules it had learned. Okay, so like the dog knows it's not supposed to open the gate, so even if it knows how, it won't do it. Its ability to live alongside us means that the dog has developed an almost human-like sense of social order and an instinct for relationships. Aw, so they do love us. Well, according to the studies, dogs have similar brain structures for processing emotions as we do. The conclusion is that dogs probably experience emotions like love and attachment. So, yeah, it's highly possible, even likely, that our dogs love us. And if you love dogs, you should watch the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet on Sunday, February 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern or 11 a.m. Pacific. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Scientists have discovered 1.75 billion-year-old fossils in Australia and Canada offering a sneak peek at the early days of photosynthesis, the process that's key for life as we know it, reshaping what we thought we knew about the start of complex life on our planet. Social scientists are suggesting that we should differentiate between willpower and self-control when it comes to achieving our goals or breaking bad habits. Willpower is when you try to resist a temptation without help, while strategic self-control involves making a plan that takes temptation out of the equation. A new study using MRI tech on canines has revealed that dogs possess deep emotional intelligence and experience emotions like love and attachment similar to humans. So yeah, your dog probably loves you. And if you love dogs, watch the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet on Sunday, February 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern or 11 a.m. Pacific. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gate and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karasami. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.